0: Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. It has been several weeks since our last study. We'd like to thank you so much for remembering us and choosing to join us today for this live study. If you're catching us at a later time, as in pre-recorded, well, we'd like to thank you for your interest as well. We're about to begin a new study. We're going to be considering the book of Romans. And today, here in a few moments, we'll start with Romans chapter 1. Before we do that, I'd like to, uh, share with you on how you can participate in today's study. And let me get that going. If you are watching us via our, uh, Facebook feed or wrong button, (laughs) if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, um, or you can join us at facebook.com slash truth factor live YouTube, the same thing, youtube.com slash truth factor live. Um, make comments in both locations. We also have a Twitter feed, which is Truth Factor Live as well. And any questions, if you'd like to email us, and we'll try to watch for those and catch those, you can send them at questions at TruthFactorLive.com. Again, thank you so much for your interest in spiritual matters. Today, let's go ahead and begin. I'm hitting the wrong buttons all over again. It's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> So, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're going to be starting our study of Romans chapter one. And in the first chapter here, it's a very simple breakdown. Um, the chapter division kind of gives a false sense of security. We think, okay, Paul's done with this topic. Now he's moving on. When in reality, there seems to be a greater flow. And if you can read it without the chapter and verse division, sometimes the flow is a little bit easier. To look at, but since we are considering it in this chapter division today, we're going to be considering the fact that he greets the saints in Rome, and there's a few interesting thoughts there. He'll be expressing his desire to go to Rome. Um, it is believed that Paul, in his third missionary journey, towards the end of it, when he uh, stays three months in um, in in Greece or, or Corinth, when he stays three months in Corinth. They believe that's when he wrote this particular letter to the brethren in Rome. He had not yet visited them. As a matter of fact, we don't have any knowledge of an apostle having gone to Rome as of this point. I can't say that for certain, but there's just not a record of it. So Paul is expressing his desire to finally be able to visit with them and to be able to impart some some gifts to them, if you would, maybe spend some time, mutual education. And then the latter part of, and probably the major portion of the first chapter, he talks about how God gave up on the Gentiles because they gave up on God. Now that's a very simple overview, and I know there's a lot more subtle aspects of Romans that we'll try to get into as we begin our study. So let's see, Mr. Tom, let me bring you up on the screen there, and I'll get our Bible program up to where everybody can see it. And what I'd like to do, Tom, if you would, read for us the first seven verses of Romans chapter one.
1: All right, okay, and and I will be reading from the New King James Version. Uh, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: All right, thank you, Tom. Now there's a couple of things. This first off is a very simple uh, greeting. I think sometimes we might want to look at Paul's greetings as being somewhat standard, wrote, copy and paste. But I do believe his greetings are very sincere. Um, before we turn this over to Tom, I've got a question that I'm going to ask Tom and to get his thoughts on it. I want to go ahead and drop the chat room question into the study today and um well sorry i forgot <laughs> two problems i forgot to silence my phone let's do that first well, someone just sent me a text and they're gonna feel really bad because they've interrupted this study <laughs> all right and i'm fighting some sort of allergies or codes so i'm a little bit not 100 thinking clearly so we'll do it there we go. Thanks, Brian. You got that place. So what is the significance to the phrase? This is for the chat room. What is the significance to the phrase, Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh? You know, Paul makes his statement as just something they know. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an important statement, but it's something that they all know. What, what do you think may be a significance, the significance behind what Paul says there in that statement? What is the significance to the phrase, Jesus Christ, who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh. All right. So Paul, Tom, let me ask you this. How did Paul view himself in regards to his responsibilities?
1: Well, I mean, uh, you find a lot in verse number one. First of all, he identifies himself as an apostle. And of course, that becomes important as, as you study this and other letters because there were some who challenged that aspect of it because of when he became an apostle. But that establishes authority. Secondly, he talks about he was separated to the gospel of God, or third actually, uh and and just just making the point that he is going to be sharing the gospel. And I guess before either one of those, he identified himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That is, as, you know, I, I'm I'm bound to him, I belong to him, he is my Lord and master, and I will do what he wants me to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very, very important observation to make with that. Um, It does explain the Apostle Paul a great deal, helps us in our understanding of him. And I like the term that he uses the word separated to the gospel of God. Peter tells us to be holy as God is holy. And and Tom, I think the term holy essentially means separated or set apart, too. You know, so that would that would be what Paul here was um, how he sees himself um the next the next thought i kind of wanted to bring into the discussion here has to do with um a promise he refers to and so brian let, let me ask you this one uh matter of fact let me bring it back up on the screen just for the reading here he says there which he um promised sorry which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures okay what are your thoughts? What was what was promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Brian?
2: Well, based on the immediate context, he's talking about the gospel. Um, elsewhere, Paul would use terms like in Ephesians chapter 3, he would call it the mystery that God had hidden in times past and had revealed in this age. And then that mystery would go on to be that the uh, Gentiles would be fellow heirs with the Jews before God, so we might kind of uh, consider those statements to be parallel to this one That what we're talking about here is the idea that uh, that uh, God has revealed through the Old Testament that his purpose was to bring forth the gospel and that the gospel would be both for the Jew and the Gentile Um, You know, it's kind of interesting that you use that word gospel and we might think of how in Galatians 3 and verse 8 we're told that the gospel is preached to Abraham and through Abraham by saying that through him, all nations would be blessed. So I, I'm mindful of that statement too.
0: I appreciate that. That's, there is a lot there that we could talk about uh, under what was prophesied. And and I like your answer because it incorporates part of the book of Romans. I mean, when, when we get into chapters nine to 11, Brian, you're going to find, we will find where he explains how that the, jews were cut off because of their disobedience and their unbelief the gentiles were grafted in and could likewise be cut off you know so they shouldn't you know take pride you know and um appreciate that so mike let me pop you up on the screen there real quick so I found that there was a very interesting phrase here in our reading. And again, it's these are simple phrases that Paul is writing as if the brethren already knew them, okay, and understood it. But he says there, and let me I'll bring this up again for everybody um, at home to look at. He says, through him we have received the grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And so what I'm kind of wondering there, Mike, when we look at that, what... What are your thoughts on that particular phrase, obedience to the faith among all nations?
3: Jews and Gentiles had for generations been at odds with each other. The Jews feeling that they were the uh, elite because they had at one time been the chosen people, children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, The the law had been given to Israel while Gentiles didn't have any written law from God. the, uh, the the Jews just felt themselves to be of a higher grade of people. But when the gospel came along, through the prophecies it had been prophesied that all nations of the earth would be blessed, Brian touched on that a minute ago, that was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, all nations of the earth blessed had to come through Christ. What did Christ do? Well, he died for the remission of our sins. He was buried. God raised him from the dead, according to First Corinthians 15, 1 through four. That comprises the gospel of Christ. And later in this same chapter, we find that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this faith, the obedience, uh, uh, this obedience to the faith is the same whether you're Jew, Gentile, or anything else. Okay. What what I thought.
0: And I, I like your answer. I appreciate that. What I what I found interesting about this is many times in our discussions today about the subject of faith, um, mm-hmm. there is the notion among some that it's not really obedience that is important; it's really an individual's faith. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I heard I heard a phrase this past weekend uh, by this guy, and I thought it was very interesting. He said, "Faith is not believing in God. Faith is believing God."
3: Absolutely. Now, no, that's, I think. Understand your question a little bit better, John. It, did you not mean to ask then that uh, uh, according to the faith, uh, uh, obedience to the faith among all nations, did you not mean that there's no denominational thought in this? Because nowadays some people say, What faith are you? Meaning, what religion are you? Well, Paul's writing to people that already obeyed the gospel. They weren't of any denominational sort, yeah. people obeyed the same gospel. And Paul's making them aware of that fact, that there's not a denomination here. It's the faith no. in God, the faith it, with God. And in
0: this case, when he says obedience to the faith, yes. he's talking about obedience to all that Jesus Christ has established.
3: Well, when you go back and look you at know. the definition of faith, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, you can't get anything else. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That all was revealed through Jesus Christ, not through man.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Any other thoughts on this particular uh, idea before we move on?
2: You know, just to mention that in chapter 6 and verse 17, a similar idea will be plugged in uh, when he talks about an obedience to a form of doctrine, um, Um, a little more specific, but still, uh, the same thought and kind of an important idea when we talk about obeying the gospel, which is a, a commandment given to us in many places that here the uh, obedient obeying the gospel, obedience to a form of doctrine would seem to be a way of understanding that idea.
0: Ron, what uh, verse was that again you said?
2: Chapter 6 and verse 17, Romans six seventeen. 17. Oh. Uh, in chapter 6 he'll start talking about baptism and then he'll lead that into chapter 6 and verse 17 where he'll talk about you obeyed from the heart that form yeah. of doctrine
0: that you but god be thanked you know i, yeah, I appreciate saying. you saying that and that would be a great cross reference for this verse right here
2: it really would be yeah
0: you know god be thanked that though you were once slaves of sin you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine you were obedient to the faith yeah yeah okay
2: yeah i think and i think i think they're probably meant to be uh linked together like that and i, and I think you're exactly right okay they are a nice cross reference
0: that's a good one. i, I appreciate i appreciate that Oh well, let's go ahead and well before we jump back to the chat room questions. Anyone else have any thoughts on the first seven verses here? Oh, if you're wondering where is Paul? Paul Adams, not the apostle. He's probably in heaven. Paul Adams, he's home at sick. He's <laughs> he is at home sick. So we miss him today for our study. All right. Well, go back to the chat question here real quick. So, did we get any replies to the significance there? Yeah, we did. Who? Who? All right, I haven't seen uh, it That's yet. in
2: our YouTube chat. It's from Gregor Hinckley. Uh, appreciate you, Gregor. Uh, you, you're always good to help us out here, so uh, glad for that.
0: Let me see if I can find out why I haven't seen it yet real quick.
2: I can read it if you can't pull it up.
0: Okay. Uh, in three... Who, there we go. Now it finally loaded it all in. Boy, there's a lot of comments there. So, Gregor, let me bring it up. And then if you would read it, Brian. Yeah.
2: Uh, Gregor's answer is it places Jesus as a physical heir to the throne of David, something that Herod was not. It fulfills the covenant given to David slash Abraham. Uh, it's kind of neat. He says Herod, we've been studying. Gregor and I uh, had been studying uh, recently Herod and his claim to be king of the Jews. And how that claim wasn't, you know, was not based on his lineage, and Jesus's was. So, uh, in fact, Gregor, by pointing to Abraham too, reminds us that Jesus is also the seed of Abraham, another promise fulfilled. So,
0: that's a good point. Very good point. I appreciate that, Gregor. Good, good thoughts on that. All right. Well, let's go ahead into our next section there in Shelton. Would you mind reading for us verses eight through? 17. Yes. Yeah, let's start there. Yeah, 8 through 17,
3: please.
4: Okay. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, uh, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, I appreciate that, Shelton. You know what's interesting is I've tried to use headphones before. Uh, but with V-Mix, it's, it's hard to get it, or I haven't figured out how to do it right, to where I hear myself as I speak. Okay, It drives me batty when I hear myself a fraction of a second after I speak. Well, I've got a similar thing with, with Shelton right here. because Shelton's right there on the screen, but he's also behind this wall. And so when I, I hear him, I hear him first in building on the other side of this wall, and then through my speakers locally so hopefully you're not picking up the echo I don't think the mic is that sensitive but it's like I wish I could quiet him down a little bit but then we couldn't hear him <laughs> all right well Sheldon I'll throw the first question or the I say questions more something to think about here uh, actually before I do that I need to bring up the chat room real quick So, for those in the chat room, if you've been following along and you'd like to participate, here's the thought question for this particular section. How does Paul describe the faith of the brethren in Rome? Okay, we won't talk about that, so that you can. Um, How does Paul describe the faith of the brethren in Rome? All right, now, Sheldon, so what reason did Paul give... And keep the chat room question in mind, so don't answer it. <laughs> what reason did Paul give for wanting to travel to Rome?
4: Well, uh, like you said, without stepping on the chat room question, we know that he does, you know, enjoy these brethren. Uh, he doesn't have bad memories of these brethren. So he wants to, he wants to come. He gives thanks uh, for them in his prayers always. But then in verse 10, he does say that he wants to actually travel there in person to be with them. And verse 11 gives you the reason. Uh, he says, I long to see you or I long to come to you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. And it's interesting. And we talked about this even on the Truth Factor chat and, and in your sermon on Sunday uh, regarding this chapter. But it seems as if there has not been an apostle. And we don't know this, but it seems as if there has not been an apostle that has traveled uh, to this congregation to uh, lay their hands on the brethren and actually impart to them that spiritual gift. Uh, But there may have possibly been somebody who already had spiritual gifts, uh, a member that that does meet there that already has them. But as we know, uh, when an apostle imparts a spiritual gift on someone, that person then cannot impart it to someone else. Uh, And so in order to establish that congregation, in order for them to have uh, we know that the, the gifts and the miraculous works were used to establish the word that they were teaching as truly the word of God. And uh, and so he desires to come to them to just uh, build them up. And also he says that he wants to be encouraged in verse 12 uh, by the mutual faith of them and, and, and him.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I thought in, in studying through this, I thought that was really interesting. I think there are two answers. That we could give in talking about spiritual gifts, and, and we'll bring up the other one here in just a second. We'll see what some other people think too. Um, but I think you made a good point, point. and Wayne in our in our Truth Factor discussion uh, chat that for for we have a Truth Factor think tank. If you want to know the secret behind us, and and that's all of us boiled in one pot, and we have some of our folks that you've not seen in a long time, and one of them is Wayne. Well, she's part of this mix mash think tank that we have and in our discussion in the i asked i kind of posed the question what do you think about this verse and wayne basically said don't forget about romans 12 romans 12 does make it clear that apparently some members did have the gift of the holy spirit in a miraculous form Um, but how they got that we don't know it's very likely they traveled to and from i mean then but priscilla if we go back in our Acts study what was it acts chapter 18 when paul came across and uh Priscilla and Aquila, they had just been ran out of Rome by, what was it, Clement, I think. You know, ran out of Rome by Clement, and so because they were a Jew or as the Jews were ran out. But apparently, by the time Paul um, is back in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, they're back home in Rome again because he sends greetings to them and everything. So clearly, some of the members there had miraculous gifts, but whether or not an apostle actually traveled there, it could be they just moved in. You know, Any thoughts about that from any of the other folks on, in our panel or in the chat room?
4: Well, like you said, John, I mean, and, and Wayne's comment, we know that some of the members 100% did have those spiritual gifts. Um, but, you know, we're speculating that an apostle hasn't been there yet.
0: That's um, true. But to say, that
4: he, to say that they have been there, which some some teachings would say Thomas brought this up in our chat just now, uh, that the Catholic Church would teach that Peter would have already been there. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's not something I can say. No, he has not been there. But at the same time, it's speculation to say that he has as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Good thought there. So let, let me offer the second option here real quick as to what Paul could be referring to. Uh, when you bring the text back up here for just a moment, all right. he says there, as we've already pointed out, um, let's see, that I may impart to you, there we go, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. And then he goes on down in verse fifteen, talks about he's ready to preach the gospel to them who are Rome also. So the secondary possibility that he might be referencing when he talks about imparting spiritual gifts could be just the sheer benefit of being with them, teaching them, having fruits from among the people there in Rome, um, and so it could be that that's because because he would be mutually edified you know in the same same situation so that's the other possible option there all right any thoughts before we continue on before we go to the chat room question no okay tell you what i'm looking at if you ever wonder on my computer screen i got a strip of everybody on camera and so if someone starts talking i can click on them and bring them in real quick or if they go to sleep we can highlight them too
2: Maybe maybe one thing before we go to that chat. Uh, We mentioned earlier the conversation. um, uh, Make sure I'm in the right place. I don't want to jump ahead. uh, And I've just moved myself so I've lost my place. Um, uh, We read we read up through verse 17. And um, one of the things that I find interesting is that uh, statement in verse 16 about the to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Uh, All I want to say is uh, to plug the idea that all through the Book of Acts in our last study. We saw that there was a pattern in the preaching of the apostles and and the evangelists that went out to preach the gospel, that they always preached it to the Jews first and then to the Greek. Uh, This seems to be a fulfillment of the promise of the gospel, that it would come first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. I do think it's interesting to consider that mix that's found here in Rome, uh, because it's kind of interesting that he he kind of draws almost the idea a little earlier that, uh, verse 13, it almost sounds like it's a mostly Gentile church, but it... But we know at the end of the letter there are some jews that are there too and and some of this has to imply the idea that when the jews were expelled from rome if there was a church there and I kind of get the feeling that maybe there was a church in rome at the time of that uh, expulsion that if so that would have only left a gentile church and it would have been a very interesting church uh to consider uh a early first century church that was exclusively gentile that could have been left in rome and now the jews are coming back and that could set us a bit of a stage for what uh, some of the dynamic of that church could be. So I just think it's interesting to consider that, especially in the light of the idea that, that the gospel is always preached to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We're no longer doing so because we see that commission is having, that portion of the commission is having been fulfilled. So we uh, we no longer do that. But it's uh, it would be an interesting question if somebody ever asked us, why don't you do that? We might be, need to have an answer ready with that.
0: Trying to find the Jews in America. A lot of them, I don't think, are any – they can't prove the national ethnicity. Ethnic, ethnic. So you
2: know, and, and, John, that, that would probably be a controversial statement to a lot of people who, are, yeah. who claim to be Jewish today, but, but it's a factual statement that you wouldn't be able to demonstrate a direct descendancy from Abraham that you yeah. could have 2,000 years ago that things have uh, been disrupted and changed to that degree So so you're right about that. But like I said, I I would suggest to us that it's not so much the impossibility of it as the uh, fulfillment of that portion of the commission. You know, that 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 concept uh, was that they should go to all the world, meaning both the Jew and the Gentile. Colossians chapter one, Paul would declare that he had that the apostles had fulfilled that, that they had gone to all the world, meaning they had fulfilled the portion that was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile.
0: You know, what What you're saying kind of does explain his statement that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Yeah, you know, yeah. Looking at like that. I said,
2: what I think is interesting is verse 13. At first, it might sound like it's only a Gentile church. But as I said, at the end of the book, we'll see there are Jews that are present there. But I, but as I said, it, it must be an interesting dynamic of, of the type of church that's there. Yeah. That even comes back to our chat question, and I'll let you go back to that uh, about some of the concepts that are found in that too okay
0: i yeah, Brian, i almost oh, agree tom
1: yeah i i was also going to say that the chapter two makes it clear that there were jews there so
0: well sure yeah, yeah so. <clears throat> that, that's exactly right yeah um tom since you spoke up um let me ask you this i realized i jumped ahead of another point i want we want to make real quick um, talking about the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The question kind of was in what is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith? You have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, I've always looked at it, even though I, am not sure that the, uh, I'm not sure the Greek language completely bears this out, but I've often thought about this uh, understanding the power of the gospel for us. And, and that's such an important thing because I think verse 16, I think this is actually the, the, the theme to the, the whole book. But, but he gets into it. He talks about from faith to faith. I think it's the idea of what I would call from objective faith to subjective faith, the idea of the faith. Uh, God, that which he has revealed to us, strengthens our personal faith or builds our faith and those types of things. Okay. So that's what I think is by that. And the okay. idea of the just shall live by faith. You know, uh, an interesting observation about that, uh, you know, we sometimes talk about uh, how this is telling us we need faith in our lives. And I say, absolutely. But you could also look at it from the standpoint of because we have faith, we're going to live eternally. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts.
0: Um the ESV and I think others, maybe faith for faith. Um, I heard someone suggest one time that one might view it as the faith of Abraham to the faith of Christ. I'm not sure if that would be accurate, um, but the idea of instead of faith to faith from faith for faith is another, another rendering of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the way I heard that is uh, from faith objective to faith subjective. Yeah. As, as on the objective—that's
2: that's a new one, Tom. I've always heard people say it was uh, from faith to faith, is from the Old Testament to the New Testament kind of concept. That because uh, he used the word faith back, uh, you know, back earlier in a sense like that. And I, I by the way, I, I'm not sure I agree that that's right, but that's what I've heard most people say. So, Tom, what you're saying I think is very interesting. I haven't heard that before. Um, I kind of took that as the idea that faith has to come from another faith. That in other words, I, uh, faith, faith follows the laws of, of life in a sense that it has to come from a like faith. So my faith could only come from somebody who had that faith, whether it be Paul who wrote these things down. Or, you know, of course, we say faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's the implication of that. But that it, but that it, it had to be alive in Paul or the things that were written so that I could have a living faith, so that faith can only begat living faith. Uh, and then he says the righteous live by faith would be, you know, again, w- what I've kind of wondered is if he's not playing with that, like the laws of life back in Genesis chapter one.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and not only that, uh, we're about to go into a section where Paul briefly addresses what we would call as evidences. And, 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 that, that goes back to that thing. And I know one of the points I've made in my evidences class is, is uh how does how does naturalism explain why we have faith in the first place you know, and and, and it, it absolutely doesn't you know and and, and that's an interesting point you made that whatever faith we have it's going to be based on something that we've been told uh, by someone who has faith in, in in one way or another and and that kind of builds us up so.
2: you know you know Tom what you're saying is important because that that kind of thwarts the doctrinal idea that a lot of Protestants have, and even some Catholics have, that faith comes from like a supernatural experience or yeah, something that's miraculously put of the Holy the Spirit. Church.
3: Yeah. Well, can I add yet one more caveat to this? Faith has to be an increasing element in every Christian. Mm-hmm. It has to grow. They begin at a certain spot, and then they grow from there. So from faith to faith. Then you look at Peter's statement, adding to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brother, the kindness, charity. Uh, Paul several times in, in several of his letters talks about the increasing of faith, the strengthening of our faith. You can't do that without God's word. So that the last phrase of verse 17 becomes extremely important with that. And in my mind, even more important than from faith to faith, he repeats what is written in the Old Testament times, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. Anyone else can't live by faith. You have to be righteous to live by faith. So it's a phrase that tells you that once you've obeyed the gospel, don't disobey it. Keep on growing within it
0: all right good thoughts good thoughts um you've actually made me kind of rethink this just a little bit um i don't want to i don't want to duplicate what has already been said that uh, but if if you take the last part the just shall live by faith and you think about how the gospel is spread romans 10 17 Mm -hmm. then kind of what brian was saying there from the person that teaches it to the person that receives it, you know, might be a way of looking at that as well.
2: And and as I said, I think Romans 10, he wants us to see it that way. When he talks about faith comes by hearing the word of God. And then he says that that hearing comes through the preacher or the person that delivers it. Um, You know, we talked back in the book of Acts how important it was that men delivered the gospel, not angels. And Mm -hmm. again, that's because angels can't have faith in something they haven't seen uh so uh, it kind of necessitates that faith comes to those who have faith from those who have faith uh, and as i said i think that that could be one of several ways we could look at that passage the the statement was made a minute ago mike mike really said something neat there to think about the just the just if we look at this as the righteous shall live by faith which is the new american standard then it kind of links up too to what we're going to see shortly when it says abraham believed in god and it was given to him or credited to him as righteousness, but that that uh-huh. also becomes a connection to that statement, that Old mm-hmm. path, uh, Testament passage too.
0: All right. Good thoughts. Good thoughts on that.
2: that. That's John's comment, by the way, of let's move on. That's uh, <laughs> No. <kind> of... <laughs> no.
0: <I'm... laughs> um, no, I'm actually what my brain was working on is there's a lot more we could say about that. That's... And I was looking at our time and how much we've got left, but we did start late, but I don't want to penalize the people at home for us starting late.
2: I I can guarantee Tom's going to have a lot to say after verse 20, because he's going to want to talk about evidence.
3: uh, Huh? I I I promise Tom's going
2: to have a lot to say. There's a lot to be said about that, but I think Tom's going to be on top of that.
3: When we started studying the book of Romans here at Orleans, of about two months ago. If it's any help to you, it took us three weeks to get through the first chapter. <laughs> wow, that's fast. There's a well. lot. <laughs> hey,
0: if if Tom didn't seize his opportunity where Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, then that's it. That Tom missed his chance to get in there in the discussion there.
1: That's a so. good point. <laughs>
0: That, and that is again, something else we can talk about a, a great deal. But Paul states it as fact, you know. And um, I think oftentimes when someone asks us why we believe, I think probably the best thing is the answer. God raised Jesus from the dead, so therefore I believe God. You know, whatever he says, I believe it. He was able to raise Jesus from the dead, never to die again. So that's, that's sufficient for me. Well, let's look at the chat room question real quick. So we have uh, two answers. Does Grant grant's answer go along with the question yeah yeah it sure does okay so um real quick here the question is i'll reread it and we'll bring them in i'll have you to read them if you would Brian. how does paul describe the faith of the brethren in rome so our first reply comes from grant haynes you know the guy i've met
2: him <laughs> so grant's answer he says paul says the Romans strong faith is widely known through the world. This could mean either or both that they are an encouragement to brethren, or that they are being a light to the world.
0: You know, I wonder about this particular phrase, um, Brian. When we were talking about this, you compare it to the Paul's letter to the brethren in Thessalonica in First Thessalonians chapter one, it talks about how their faith become known throughout the area or through the region there. But here he says the brethren of Rome's faith had become known throughout the whole world.
2: Yeah. You, you know, when I was thinking about that, too, I thought one of the things is, of course, Rome is, uh, to the Roman Empire, Rome is the center of the world. So one would think that a, a group of Christians in that location would have more interaction with people from everywhere than anybody else now like i said i think it could go as grant said it probably could be either way either that there's an encouragement or there's there's a great testimony before the world i know that when paul gets there am i correct that or or is it mentioned actually here in romans now i don't remember where he mentions that there are some of caesar's household that are believers now i don't remember where he said that um
0: uh, yes he does say what's that he does say that
2: i just don't remember where um (laughs) But perhaps the point is that uh, it 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 collects the idea that that this is really um, you know, especially considering where the world was going as far as the the persecution of Christians, that they really served as a particular point yeah. of encouragement uh, either way.
0: All right, and let's let's go ahead and bring up the next one here real quick. and there you go. From Gregor. So
2: Gregor Hinckley says the faith in Rome was infamous, given the trials to come. That is obvious, and Paul wants to visit for mutual benefit. So uh, you know, again, it's uh, you know the the faith being well known that you know the the trials that were to come. Also strikes me, you know, that the the trials that were to come it makes them even more. Uh, again, maybe a little to that comment about being the light of the world.
0: Okay. That's a good thought. I hadn't thought about it from that way. You know, the possible persecutions that they may have even encountered thus far. You know, they would have been known for. Okay, dokie. Let's see. All right. So here, here's what I am working on a little bit. I'm still stopped up pretty good. And we have gone almost an hour. I mean, almost to our, our top of the hour. And we do have a good bit more that we'd like to talk about Um Tom asked me at the start of our study, he says, you think we'll be able to get through this in an hour? I says, Tom, I don't see why not. I mean, unless you want to go into a verse-by-verse, sin-by-sin discussion, we should be able to do this. Well. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, you yeah. thought the next uh, part would be the one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and it, some of the things we'll look at next week, and we'll we'll pause our study here in just a moment. Continue next week. It is interesting the fact that three different times he will say God gave them up, talking about the Gentiles, or God gave them over, and I think that says a lot. Um, but I, I want to throw a question out here to the Truth Factor guys, and, and to you at home if you'd like to consider this as well. And so I got Mike on the screen real quick, so I'll just throw this at you. Luck of the draw there, Mike. When yeah. when we when we look at Old Testament stories like uh, prophecies in the fall of Tyre, Sidon, um, um, Sodom, Gomorrah, um, Assyria, Babylon, and others, um, even even Egypt, do we ever find the Lord under the Old Testament destroying a nation because they worshipped idols?
3: Why give me the hard ones? <laughs> I yes and no. There were idolatrous kingdoms there, but but, but the reasons given wasn't for idolatry. No, no. The reasons given was because Israel finally repented and came back to God, okay. and because the nations abused toward Israel, God punished the the heathen nations.
0: Okay. The way they There was treated idolatry the poor.
3: involved, but that's not the purpose of his yeah. destruction.
0: I have a reason for asking that question. Any other thoughts on that question? Uh,
2: well, yeah, and I John. Think I know uh, your
0: reason. Go ahead, Tom, and then we'll come yeah, back to Brian. I,
1: I, I was going to say well, one thing that kind of comes to my mind is when you study the prophets and so on, you'll find that a lot of times the behavior of these foreign nations, which I see the point there, it was gross immorality, but their behavior sometimes was based upon their idols, based upon their their gods, and so on, that uh, th- that led them to do some of the things that they did. So I guess in a roundabout way, I, it, it was it was associated with. I I, 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 I like the fact that you know Mike, Michael pointed out that's. A, I think that's a yes and
0: no question. So. <laughs> all right, Brian, what's your thoughts?
2: Yeah. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to think um, and I think I know why you're asking this, too. I think uh, I I kind of can understand what you're saying, you know, and I and I'm trying to remember, I know that idolatry is something that God condemned in the nations. But your specific question is, did God actually reveal and maybe that to use the language of Romans, did God reveal his wrath on those nations in particular over the idols that they created? and uh i cannot think immediately of a specific condemnation for that because you know like i was i thought well maybe jonah and nineveh but it's not it's, no. you know so no. i think I'd i would have to sit down and go back through some of these guys i know that the idols of egypt are mentioned and things like that but they're not uh like i can say as you're as you're kind of going the direction of here i think you might you might be onto something on this
3: well john before you give us the reason let me ask if i'm on the same track with you All right. there's a see and I don't I don't know exactly off the top of my mind where it is but there's a prophecy that says something to the effect that the nation that forgetteth God shall be cast into destruction. The sins that are following here in the first chapter of Romans are sins that heathen nations were guilty of and then Israel became guilty of it too so that the destruction of those nations and including the captivity of Israel on several occasions, was because they had forgotten God. Is that the channel you're looking for?
0: No, but it's a very good point. Um, Mike, what do you think, or Brian, where do you think I'm going with this?
2: Well, the idea might be that uh, if we note here, God, uh, God's about to condemn them for making uh, the idols and, and idolatry in general, but by and large, it seems that perhaps God, you know, winked at that because they didn't have an understanding, too.
0: Why would you use that term, winked at it?
2: Well, that, that would be the term that, uh, you, that's going to be used elsewhere here as we go on. That You know, Paul, in and, and Acts 17, when Paul was before the uh, the the Greeks in Mars Hill, he makes the statement that God in times past had winked at their idolatry. Mm-hmm. So,
0: See, it's that statement that got me started thinking about this whole process. Um when when are, okay, let me say this. First off, clearly they were wrong by worshiping idols, and they rejected God. God gave them up to idols, and to do those things that their idolatry led them to. Mike, you know, really explained that very good. You know, um, Sodom and Gomorrah were very wicked in sin, and although it doesn't really talk much about idolatry there, I figured there was some sort of idolatry involved with that. But I've just thought—I've often thought it interesting that idolatry. If God had gone through and wiped out every nation that worshipped false gods, there would have been none <laughs> left. I mean, you think about it—they it would the- have all been gone. Um, yeah. So every every nation, God is going to judge based on their own merits. Kind of Paul, Paul will talk about that. How's that relevant to Romans? Here, what is it in uh, chapter? Um, Chapters 2 and 3, he'll talk about them doing by nature the things that were in the law. You know, he's going to judge them on that. But there were specific times he obliterated them, giving them time to repent. What I'm reminded of real quick, and we'll pull the study to a close, is when Abraham had his vision about his descendants being strangers in the foreign land, the Lord says that for the iniquity of the Amorites have not yet been fulfilled. Yeah. You know, why not send his, his people into the land of Canaan early? Why wait the 400 years? Because the judgment upon the Amorites would not have been justified, because their, the iniquity had not yet been fulfilled, and um, so it's it, 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 when I thought about that when we studied through Acts Seventeen, I thought that that's something an interesting thought to consider. So, not that it changes our study, other than just to continue to impress, just because God did not destroy the people does not mean that He approved of the idolatry.
2: You know. And one thing that's going to become central to Romans is the concept of how God has revealed himself, which, which yeah. if you look at 17 and 18, those two passages are meant to contrast each other. The righteousness of God is revealed by faith. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So, so it's even there. It's kind of a, a dual direction of revelation. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about God having revealed himself in a peculiar way or a specific way to the Jews. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, they have the oracles of God. So again, the concepts, a lot of the concepts of Romans are about the idea of revelation. In fact, uh, uh, I, I wrote down in my own notes that Revel- Romans 1 talks about two ways God reveals himself. Uh, Romans 2 talks about two ways God reveals his will for men. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the the dualism of the two laws revealed by God in Romans 8. So I, I see a lot of things of a contrast in, in the way God makes himself. The word manifest also is used a lot to, to given this idea about how men know God. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's a very, very good point. All right, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Any other thoughts before going close today's study, and we'll pick it up and finish up Romans chapter 1 next week? All right, it looks like we're all good to go to Paul's today's study. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us as we study through uh, the Word of God, and now we're starting in our book of Romans. If you want to catch some of our past studies, you can easily find them by going to truthfactor.com and then look up top and you'll find archives and they'll share with you all the, good, the YouTube lists that we have of our various studies. And some of them are, what, maybe six years old? I think we started this in 2012, one of our, our earliest studies. So um, some people have aged better and not so better <laughs> than others. <clears throat> and um, some wasn't with us back then, so... <laughs> Anyway, catch up on that if you would like, and we'll continue our study of Romans next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time.
3: Noon Eastern
2: Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And 9
1: a.m. Pacific Time.
0: That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.